she falls in love with a Howard right as the Howard Queen is coming out of being in favor and is about to be beheaded. And then she falls in love with another Howard right as the Howard Queen is coming out of favor and is about to be beheaded. She did not have a knack for choosing at that point. The Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Ask the Expert with Steph. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Ask the Expert. I'm your host, Steph Storer, and today we are joined by the wonderful Christy Dean, author and historian. Christy is here to discuss maybe, well, I guess an offshoot, I guess, uh, of one of our favorite topics, Henry VIII. She's actually here to hone in on his sisters and his nieces. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So let's start off maybe with Richard, or I'm sorry, not Richard, with uh, Henry VIII's childhood. Because obviously we're here today to talk about his sisters and his nieces. So why don't you give us a little glimpse into who his sisters were? Well, his older sister, Margaret, she ends up growing up and marrying the King of Scotland. What's interesting about that to me is that her mother and her grandmother did not want her sent right away. I guess because of Margaret Beaufort's problems with having her son at such a young age, she didn't want that to happen to her granddaughter. So, and then Mary was the youngest uh, surviving tutor. And so she grew up probably idolizing both her older brothers and then lost her eldest brother, Arthur. So they actually spent more time together than other royal families that I had read about or researched in the past. So that was interesting, and that probably explains Henry's close relationship to his younger sister. That's actually a great point. One of our, well, several of our listeners actually asked if he had a favorite sister, or maybe 
was he maybe favorite is the wrong word to use was he closer with one of the sisters than the other yeah i i really believe that mary was his favorite or closest as you said i think henry had this complex where he wanted to be seen as a rescuer um and it was easy to do that with a younger sister who looked up to him instead of an older sister who had, you know, usually as older sisters do kind of boss around um, the younger, even though, you know, he, he was a male in a time where men were seen as higher in the social standing, but you know, it, Mary obviously loved her brother. So they must've had a close childhood. She looked up to him. She admired him. And then you can see evidence of the relationship when she marries Charles Brandon. And Henry is furious because he was planning to use his sister in another marriage. Um, and But the fact that he doesn't even imprison them, that he welcomes them back. I mean, he does punish them, but... He doesn't imprison them. He welcomes them back. He shows that he is welcoming them back by throwing them another extravagant wedding. And, you know, I really do think they were close. She she writes to him. And writing was not quite what it is today. You, you, were, you knew other people would be reading your letters. You knew that it would be reported. But she did often want to be with her brother. She spent a lot of time at court, even when she came back from France. I want to keep going with the uh, Mary stuff, but we're going to put a pin in that for a second (laughs) and we'll come back to her. Um, One of the questions that we wanted to talk about was his sister's either individually or collectively opinions on the King's great matter. Um, His, his, situation with Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. Did his sisters ever weigh in? Well, Mary, she did. We know because there was a letter written uh, back to Venice that talks about an altercation where the Duke of Norfolk's men kill one of Charles Brandon's relatives. Um, And this was reported that it was actually caused the whole altercation was caused and created by some defamatory language that Mary had used in describing Anne Boleyn. And you can see that Catherine and Mary would have been close as well because Mary was young when Catherine came to court and she would have seen her as another older sister. And then she loses her older sister to go to Scotland. And so she probably bonded more with Catherine. And, you know, she certainly did start staying away from court uh, after the whole great matter came out. But whether that was because of Anne or because of her illness, we can't really say, although I suspect it was a bit of both. Uh, I think it would be hard to see your brother making what you think is a big mistake, especially with someone that you have cared for and putting her aside. You can, you can see where Mary was. Now, Margaret, she was more in a position to where she needed to stay in Henry's good graces. And she did not ever hesitate to tell Henry what she was thinking. So if we've lost some letters, um, I'm sure she had her thoughts about it, especially 
considering some of the things that Henry had said to her over the years about her marriage. So she probably did, but we don't know exactly what she would have said. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I feel like there was a a few little kind of hints in in what you just said about even just a glimpse into their relationship. So you mentioned kind of the things that he said to her about her marriage over the years Mm -hmm. or um, what you just said about her not necessarily feeling like she had to hold back when she said things to him. So what do you mean by that? Well, I'll... I'll kind of backtrack. I'll start with what we were talking about. When um, Margaret learned that her husband had a mistress, she was very, very upset. And she wrote to Henry asking to be allowed to come to England. And Henry refused. Instead, he was upset with her and he lectured her. Uh, He said that she shouldn't divorce her husband. And we can look back on that with a bit of a, a... you know, it seems hypocritical today because he was right in the middle of his affair with Bessie Blunt at this time. It was very obviously, I have a standard for me and a standard for you, and you should not divorce your husband. And in fact, when Angus came to England, that was her husband, when the Earl of Angus came to England, Henry welcomed him and he kept him in his his pay for a while um, until Angus later flips and goes back to Scotland. But I can't imagine how I would feel if my brother welcomed my husband that I am so upset with and so angry with to be in his pay and to take care of him. I mean, it, it just, it boggles the mind. And later, um, she and the Duke of Albany had come to a tentative peace and Henry is really upset with her about that. And she writes to him because there were rumors that um, the Duke of Albany had come to Scotland to marry Margaret, which were totally unfounded. He said he already has enough trouble with one wife. Um, and he said that she, I mean, she wrote to Henry telling him that she had received his sharp and unkind letter and then telling him he trusted too easily in false information about her and Albany. And, you know, she really, their relationship was basically when Margaret did Henry's bidding, Henry was very supportive to her. And when she struck out on her own and did what she wanted, Henry was angry with her. Um, But, you know, they still had a decent relationship because when she first, when, when her husband died, her first husband, James, when he died and then she remarried, he was obviously, uh, Henry was upset with the wedding because he, he thought it was a rash and foolish thing, which it obviously turned out to be, but he still welcomed Margaret into England um, and allowed her husband to come as well. They were trying to make plans to even get her sons out of Scotland. Um, That, of course, all came to nothing. And Margaret spent quite some time in England, um, spending time with Henry and her sisters. It It was probably a wonderful time for all of them, despite the fact that Margaret had to worry, you know, what was going on with her husband while he wasn't there. And it was at this time that Henry met 
his niece, Margaret Douglas, for the very first time. And, you know, he made a lot over her. He put her in the nursery with his daughter. And it, it was really, it was a family time. And you you can see how they have a relationship. I mean, obviously, Henry has affection for her. He brought her into England that time when she was in danger, he thought. Uh, the other times he didn't bring her. Um, he She was not being treated well. But that wasn't a big issue. It was only when she was in danger that he cared enough to get her out of the danger. But he often sent her money. Even after her her uh, son was king, she writes to Henry because she doesn't have money and he sends her some money. So he obviously had some sort of affection for her. He does seem to always kind of be a, a bleeding heart for his sisters, right? Yeah, especially when they're doing what he wanted them to do. <laughs> Well, isn't that his M.O. kind of in yeah, life? <laughs> exactly, with his wives as well. Just stay on my good side and you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about his first marriage. Or sorry, her first marriage. How mm-hmm. was their relationship during her first marriage? And how was his relationship? Obviously, things were pretty bumpy uh, between England and Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about that at all? And do you think that it affected their relationship going forward? Well, I think Margaret, when she got to Scotland, her husband, um, well, well known as a philanderer, but he he took steps to make Margaret comfortable. On her way there, he met her. Um, there was a fire and her favorite horses were killed. And he, James sent her new horses. He would come spend time with her and talk to her. Um they had a decent marriage by all accounts. I, you know, Margaret had a tendency to have that Tudor stubbornness, but they, they had a lot of early losses. They lost some children. Um, but he was always listening to her. He would, you know, I'm sure he listened with half a mind, like, okay, I'll listen, hear you out, but I'm going to do what I want to do as King. He would do that with his advisors as well. So it's not, necessarily a, I'm just not going to listen to you. But she was playing a role, a dual role of, of ambassador for her country, as well as becoming a Scotswoman. And, you know, their marriage lasted and, and she begged and begged James not to fight her brother. And it was because she was worried that he would be killed, which obviously he was at Flodden. And so I, I really don't, you know, it's it's the time period in which they are living because I think it would be really, really hard to lose your husband and then your sister-in-law who actually brought the battle because, you know, Catherine was regent, then send someone to comfort you afterwards. But it was the time frame. I mean, the war was inevitable in some instances they were used to it and you know but it was hard for her after she lost James she had to take steps to secure her regency which James had very clearly stated that if she was to remarry she could not be regent and you know that was a real threat because she was a tutor she was a um, a dowager 
queen. And in fact, Louis, who ends up marrying Mary, Margaret's sister, had looked into marrying Margaret himself before he decided that it would be better and more advantageous to marry the younger sister. So, you know, the, the whole family, it was just an intertwining of the, the three countries. I mean, with Scotland having um, a great relationship with France, and that's why Louis really thought it was advantageous to marry Mary instead so he could get a relationship with a country he didn't have a good relationship with. Plus, he's, you know, he had heard rumors about how beautiful Mary was. So, you know, that all that happened, and yet they still managed to maintain a relationship. Henry rescued her, um, got her, well, she, let me, let me be clear on that. She rescued herself, but she had to know that Henry would accept her into England before she could leave. She had an elaborate plan. She, I, I will tell you when I first started researching Margaret, I had the same picture that I've, I've heard of her before, um, you know, mainly rash, impetuous, but she really, as a researcher, pictured her a lot different. She was very resourceful and resilient. Yeah, she was pampered, but she was also strong. She was able to bounce back from difficulties that someone else may have just folded under. I mean, she could have just allowed Albany to be regent, see her children, and not make any strides toward having any sort of power herself. It would have been easier, but she didn't have it within her to always do the easy thing. And I have always admired Mary Tudor Brandon, but I became a staunch supporter, if you could say that, of someone who lived so long ago of Margaret. She She's really fascinating. Yeah, and, and I think that that's where that Tudor um, stubbornness that you yeah. mentioned earlier kind of comes in because she was like, no, this is this is how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Now, I also find it just so interesting that, you know, you said she maintained a relationship with Henry even after her first husband was killed. And knowing that that's not a deal breaker in your <laughs> relationship with your siblings is is just wild to me. But how did that affect her relationship? I know we're, we're specifically talking about Henry VIII's relationship with his sisters, but just for this part of the conversation, how did that affect her relationship with Catherine? Because I know that you had said that she looked up to her and she viewed her as another sister and all that kind of stuff. What happened with them after he was killed? Really, it doesn't seem that the relationship changed all that much. She seemed to... Now, Mary looked up to Catherine. Margaret was the one who had left fairly early, so she wouldn't have close ties to Catherine, but their relationship did not appear to change. Now, I'm sure because, like I said, we only have her letters, and they knew that other people would read the letters. Um, But she basically thanks Catherine for sending, um, Catherine sent someone to her to offer support twice, once after Flodden, um, and then the next time when Catherine is either under Henry's command or is horrified herself that Margaret wants to divorce Angus and she sends um, one of her religious 
leaders up to Margaret to talk and they're able to, you know, to actually convince her that she needs to go back to Angus. And she thanks Catherine for sending him the priest. She thanks her. And I don't know, I'm, I'm stubborn. I don't know that I would be able to just thank somebody for telling, for sending somebody to tell me what they think I should do. But again, it was the absolutely time. Right. I feel like everything we're talking about right now, the entire story is just, we have to put into context how different things were then, because even me saying things like, well, that should be a deal breaker. You know, it's, it's just not, it's not the same now. No, it's not. And, and, you know, we, we seem to think in today's society that women are stronger, but I think they were incredibly strong back then because they were able to get power by maneuvering through a society that didn't think they deserved power. And it just, they fascinate me. I really enjoy looking and, and discovering different things about each of these women. They were, they were all just phenomenal. So far though, I would have to say Margaret Douglas hands down was, was just the most interesting (laughs) to, to look at and to talk about because she didn't have the power base that either of her aunt, her mom or her aunt had. So it was really interesting to, to delve into her life. Yeah, well, let's let's go with that then. Let's talk a little bit about Margaret Douglas. So now, Mar- in the in the vein of talking about his sisters and his nieces, so Margaret Douglas was Margaret Tudor's daughter. Yes, Archibald Douglas. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about first. Tell us who she is, who her father was, um, and then we'll kind of get into her relationship with the Tudors. Okay. Well, Margaret um, was the daughter of. Margaret Tudor and the Earl of Angus, and she was born actually in England. And that would become important later when they were talking about the secession. She was brought to her uncle's court at a very young age, and then she went back into Scotland. Um, Her father brought her back in to England when she was still quite young. And she was eventually taken to her uncle's court. And, you know, we talked about favorite sisters. Well, hands down, uh, uh, bar none, Margaret Margaret Douglas, excuse me, seemed to be Henry's favorite niece. He had a pet name for her, called her his little Margaret. Um, And she was even spoken about in foreign circles that she was treated like his own daughter, like his own child. I mean, I know later he will imprison her in the Tower of London because she had a secret engagement with Thomas Howard. Um, and that's Anne's uncle, but not not the third duke. There were two Thomas Howards that were brothers. But um, she, a little background on that that may make it a little more clear is at that time, she was the heir apparent because he had just, Henry had just said that um, his first, well, he had said his first daughter, Mary, was illegitimate. And now he has said Elizabeth is illegitimate. And that brings Margaret into the 
fold as his heir and he can't have his heir um, messing around with a Howard, especially because he had just gotten rid of his Howard wife. I mean, I know she was a Bolin, but she had Howard blood too. And, you know, that was it. He put her into the tower, but it becomes kind of clear from his letter to Margaret. When Margaret Tudor finds out, she's horrified. She writes her brother and he basically said that he's about to move her out. And it was basically to teach her a lesson. So, I mean, he, he accepted her back into court and into his good graces right away. So he obviously loved her. And, you know, considering that Margaret most of the time did as he wished, that's probably why. I mean, they maintained a pretty good relationship throughout his life, even though he does remove her eventually from the line of secession um, in favor of his younger sister's children. So it, you know, it's, it's really funny as well that she is the only one who has a son at that point who could end up being the heir. Um, and then he, she had been excluded. So Darnley, you know, is not going to be a King of England, although they still hold on to that hope all the way up until his death, her son, Darnley. Um, so it, it's just so intricate how that happens. It was just, uh, I know Henry has a son, but of obviously once Edward dies, there's only really one Tudor boy there. Catherine, um, one of the cousins had married Edward Seymour and, and she was in the tower and she did have a boy, but Elizabeth had the children declared illegitimate. Um, and so it, Darnley is the only legitimate son of the Tudor era right at that point. And yet he is not able to be in the line of secession because of Margaret having been removed. So you know, it that the whole Tudor saga of a son and heir, it it could have ended. You know, you'd play what if if Margaret had been named um, his heir because she had a son. But you know, there's a whole lot more other things when you do what ifs. It's it's not going to come out exactly like you think it would have anyway. So it's it's they're just a fascinating family. And I think that's why people have, I mean, so many books have been written on the Tudors and yet people are always wanting more material, more information, new things. And they're just fascinating. They really Reading are. And it's just endless, right? It's just <laughs> endless. The drama and all the, all the different things that you could talk about, it, you can come up with countless topics. I mean, that's why we have this podcast, right? Yes, it's exactly. just endless. So yeah. did, did it affect their relationship then? Another thing, you know, it's like, why aren't these things deal breakers? When, when, um, Margaret was removed from the succession and it was down to his younger sister's family, did well, that do anything to their relationship? Well, she was very dependent on Henry for a lot of their money. Henry had given when Earl of Lennox, who she marries, Matthew, had come over to the English side. He had lost 
his possessions in Scotland. And so they were pretty much dependent on Henry's good graces. They got the lands from him. Um, and so she wouldn't have wanted to tear their relationship apart. There were some reports that their relationship had faltered, but in the end, I, I don't think so. I think she mourned him. She saw him as a father figure. I mean, regardless that her father was in England with her for a large part, he wasn't with her. He was doing the King's bidding and she was with her uncle. And I think for both of them, it became more of a daughter father relationship than an uncle niece. And I, you know, I just think that that's something hard to let go of. And, and yeah, Margaret was as power hungry as anybody else in that time period, but she still felt that she had a way to get it. I mean, after all, Mary, um, when Mary came to the throne, Mary actually looked into making Margaret her heir over Elizabeth. Um, she and Mary had such a good relationship too. So, you know, she still had other ways that she might eventually come into power. She didn't know that was going to happen, but you know, it was such a, things changed so fast back then. And, you know, there could be someone in prison today and tomorrow be let out and be, considered to be an heir to the throne. I mean, all sorts of things could happen. Right. So much uncertainty. Yes, exactly. Okay. Let's switch gears then to his other sister. So Mary is the one that, um, she was younger. She was married to the queen, a king of France. Mm -hmm. Then when he died, um, she was married again to Charles Brandon. So this yes. in and of itself was quite scandalous to say the least because Charles was his, I mean, again, we don't know for sure because we've read, you know, there's a lot of fiction out there and things right. like that. But from what we understand, he's basically his best friend, okay. one of his close friends. Um, how did, how did this happen? Tell us a little bit about their, the relationship between Mary and Charles. Um, and then, how they, how um, Henry found out about it, his reaction. Let's talk about that relationship a little. Okay. Well, when I really think that Mary had it in her mind that she wanted to marry Charles Brandon, because when Charles was sent over to France to meet with Mary and talk, you know, to the new King Francis and, and, go through the dower uh, lands and all the, the money and the financials and what Mary could bring back. He was told not to marry her. So there had to be something. I mean, that's not some random thing. You, Yeah. Hey, I know I'm going to send you over there. Don't marry my sister. That's not normal. So there had to have been some reason that, you know, Henry said that he may have known that Mary admired Charles Brandon, but when they got there, they enlisted Francis, the king, to help. Um, and and Mary wrote back that he was making that Francis was making um, advances toward her, and she just felt that she needed to marry Charles. and And it was it was very 
scandalous, even in France, where they had a wedding. Um, they had a quiet wedding, then they had a public wedding in France, and then they came back to England and had a public wedding. So they were well and truly married. Um, but it was just, they, they played it out. You can just see them putting their heads together and playing out every single step of the way how they could get Henry on their side. They would send letters back trying to get other people to talk to Henry for them. And ultimately it worked and they were able to come back. Although I'm sure it took a while. I mean, Charles obviously was worried about, because he had the most to lose. He was worried about Henry's reaction, even after Henry put on the show of welcoming them back. He tried to stay at court an awful lot and that way nobody could get in Henry's ear and start whispering bad things about him. And it took a while before they felt more solid in Henry's um, affection again. Um, I've always really enjoyed the play between all the siblings in the Tudor family and it was a dream come true to be able to, you know, delve into them with purpose of putting it all together and, and telling each of their stories. Um, you know, that most of them have been heard, um, you know, in some way, but not really together as a full book of a biographies of each one. And obviously in a book of about five women, you, you can't really spend can't get into all the nuances of everything, but you can explain how they reacted with each other, how they reacted with Henry. And it gives you an idea of the relationship because no one exists in a vacuum. You, you become who you are based on your relationship with others in many instances. So, you know, Mary, she handled it well. And Henry, welcomed her back, welcomed Charles back. And, you know, their daughters, Frances, her story is known because through her daughter, um, the nine days queen, Jane, and the one that is so hidden is Eleanor Brandon. There's not a lot known about her. And I haven't gotten to that section of the research yet to totally bring out more, but you know, she's one of those people who've been somewhat lost to history. Um, we know that she married Henry Clifford, who was the son of the Earl of Cumberland. And she was also the chief mourner at her aunt Catherine of Aragon's funeral. But other than that, there's not a whole lot about Eleanor that we know. We do know that you know, we have one surviving letter um, from her to her husband and in it, she addressed him as dear heart. And, you know, it seems very loving. It seems very much a letter that anybody would write to their husband. She's sick. She's telling him what's going on. And, you know, she had two boys that she gave birth to and they both died in infancy. And one daughter, um, Lady Margaret Clifford, who will get into some trouble during Elizabeth's reign. But um, there is a interesting story that I have not had chance yet to 
you know, do the research to find out if it's a hundred percent factual. Um, my mind says it's probably not, but it's a really great story. Um, W.R. Mitchell says that Henry felt extremely, now Henry Clifford, there's so many Henrys, I'm sorry. Henry Clifford fell very ill after his wife's death because of grief. And they actually thought he was dead until they, he made some sort of movement and the shock of her death. Now, whether that's true or whether he did have maybe a fainting spell and it got turned into this huge drama, you know, we don't know a hundred percent. And I'm hoping to be able to, you know, figure out that story a little bit more, but, um, each of these women, are outstanding. And I think one of the reasons we don't know so much about Eleanor other than she died young is that her life wasn't full of um, the drama. She married a man that's loved the man, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's just something that people don't, you know, talk about and because there's not much to say, which right. isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. Because, so I know you had said that Eleanor was Mary's, um, Mary's daughter, but she was the younger one. The one that we, the one that we talk about all the time was Francis because her daughters. So his uh, nieces on that side were the ones that got all of the, uh, again, the, just the drama and, and all the stories about them. So I know there wasn't much to say with Eleanor, but it's, it's definitely still interesting to look into, um, but just so that our listeners know, and I'm sure that mostly everybody does know who Francis's daughters were, but let's talk a little bit about Francis then, since we have all the information about her and her kids. Um, so who were her daughters? Well, we have um, Francis is, you know, Jane, the, the nine days queen. She was the eldest daughter. And when, Edward VI tried to change the secession, he was able to um, put Jane as the queen. He went straight from Francis to Jane because it was much more likely that Jane would have um, children later. So it, you know, Jane obviously took the throne, um, many say against her will, um, and you know, we know what happened to her. She eventually is um, executed by Mary, who really didn't want to do it, but she felt that she had to, to get Philip to marry her. Um, And then you have Catherine Gray, who ends up falling in love and being in prison. I, I touched on her earlier and having two sons, both of who declared illegitimate. Um, and then Lady Mary Gray, she makes another um, marriage without permission. That seems to be the female Tudor thing. Let's just get married to whoever we want, um, which is kind of interesting in that time period with people of royal and noble blood. They didn't necessarily get to choose who they married. Sometimes the, the peasants in the, um, the, you know, lower middle class, they got to choose, but the nobles, they were basically, you know, they had a a voice in it, but 
it's really hard to say no when everybody is telling you you have to say yes. So it's more of like a business transaction between the nobles, right? Than than a relationship. And then you hoped that you would fall in love with your spouse. And sometimes that happened and then sometimes it absolutely didn't. So, you know, and Mary, she and her husband um, are basically torn apart. And she ends up though, really he had children from a, a, a previous marriage and she tries to help take care of them. Um, not, they were older, but she tries to, you know, give them money and, and support. And, you know, that's, of course, outside the scope of the book, but they are very interesting, too. I mean, I know I keep saying very interesting, but the whole family, every single one of them has something that is interesting about them. And it's just, uh, it's so fun to um, look into them and and find just little things like in the letters, there's a letter that, um, let me see if I can actually remember the the quote that Margaret writes to her brother and is just so, um, you know, I'm actually, I may have already told you about it. It was the one where um, she basically says, I've had, be- oh no, I've had better friends. Um and she's talking about Albany again later because there are two different letters. And she says, basically, I have asked you for help and you haven't helped me. Okay. So I have written to you about my ill treatment, which I hoped that you would have remedied. But now I have found a better friend in Albany than any other. So she wasn't above telling her brother off. I mean, it's... It, they had to have a good relationship because you just don't go up against mm-hmm. things like that. Um, sure, sure. I mean, obviously, seems so just, kind of just obvious brother and sister. Uh huh. Exactly. Brother, right. I can see me saying something like that to my brother if he didn't do what I wanted. Um, you <laughs> exactly. Know, I mean, yeah. It's so funny, but um, it's really the time period, and then the interplay with Mary Queen of Scots. It's just such a crazy time because if you are a what if person there's a lot of what ifs there that could have changed history but um you know that the fact that mary queen of scots was not really part of the secession even though she kept claiming she was because she had not been born in england it didn't matter that she had tudor blood as well as Stuart, Stuart blood flowing through her veins she wasn't born in England, but then Elizabeth's heir ends up being James, her son, and he wasn't born in England either. So it seems like the rules will fluctuate and change dependent on the circumstance. So, and I think that the fluctuation of the rules probably is what led to all the fighting and the drama and everything, because there wasn't a clear cut uh, rule for when, you know, if there was no male heir or direct heir and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. And, um, back to his niece, Mary, um, Francis's daughter, Mary, I always think that the story, I know you had, you had said, we started to kind of talk about how, you know, Jane Gray was Jane Gray. That's, Everybody knows that story. And then Catherine's story is one of my favorites. I think that her whole thing with her um, 
her husband and and she was the one I think correct me if I'm wrong um who died in jail I think of you know she wasn't eating and all that kind of stuff because she was not able to see her husband and but kept getting pregnant in jail right or in the tower they had a, a very um uh a, a man with a heart. Uh, he didn't like leaving them apart, a uh, jeller with a heart, but uh, he got into quite some trouble over that. Um, right, right. And, and so there's that whole story and she gets in trouble and all this. Um, I know we're past the point of Henry VIII at this point, right? This is when right. when Elizabeth is, is queen. But then Mary, the youngest sister, the youngest gray sister, right? Francis's daughter's, does the same thing that I know. her sister did. <laughs> and I'm like, you could have used the example there. You could have not done this too. You knew, like you you have the example, so many examples. It's not even funny. You have the example of Margaret who um, marries Angus and then has nothing but trouble. And then you have Mary who marries Charles, which they get away with it. So, okay, you've got one example of let's get away with it. And then you have Margaret Douglas who gets in trouble for it. She almost gets in trouble for it again with another Howard, which is hysterical. She, I'm sorry, I, I guess maybe I'm, I might be the only person who thinks this is funny, but I just think it is funny. She falls in love with a Howard right as the Howard Queen is coming out of being in favor and is about to be beheaded. And then she falls in love with another Howard right as the Howard Queen is coming out of favor and is about to be beheaded. She did not have a knack for choosing at that point. But then she and Lennox end up having a very loving relationship. I mean, it is obvious that they are very well suited for each other. Um, but there are so many. Here are all the reasons why you shouldn't do that, Mary Gray. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And especially in her in her situation, Elizabeth was... Not messing around. She did not let it go. No, but no. and she was uh, harder on women, it seemed like, than she was on the men who messed up in her court. Not always obvious agreed. exceptions to anything, but she seemed to be able to forgive the men a little easier. Right, right. I think I mean that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Yes. But for the most part, <laughs> I would say that that the way that I see Elizabeth is that she, you know, she was threatened. She felt threatened easily a little bit jealous maybe and so she wanted to maintain this you know I'm the boss you don't get to choose those things for yourself so come on Mary like where was your sense of of um preservation yeah (laughs) preservation there's consequences right yeah exactly I, I certainly would when I was younger I kept saying I want somebody to build a time machine so I can go and experience it and now I'm like, no, I wouldn't want to. I'm not wanting to build a time machine and go and watch it. But I don't want to have any experiences in it because I know I would mess up. I would say something and be in big trouble. Definitely. I, I definitely agree. I think I actually think about that all the time. And I think that people who are interested in history in general probably have that same thought process. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I wish I could go back and then would it 
what I want to watch or what I want to be part of it or, oh, I would do this differently and I wouldn't get in trouble or I would definitely get in trouble because I would definitely put my foot in my mouth. And yeah, yeah that kind of stuff. I have the world record of putting my foot in my mouth. Now, I think, I, could, I think that I could give you a run for your money, though. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's a, you know, we're lucky, I think, in many ways that we are in the time when we are because we have at least can um, say what we want with, I mean, we'll, there's obviously consequences, but not usually, um, yeah, I'm going to kill you for that. So it's, uh, it's a different world, but it's so um, worth it to study history um, and, and see what mistakes that are made and, and maybe unlike Mary Gray, make a different choice. Unlike Mary Gray there, that I think that's a great way to wrap up the conversation (laughs) (laughs) right there. I want everybody to know, don't be like Mary Gray. Yes. Learn from everyone else's mistakes. Uh, But yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. This has been such an interesting conversation to to discuss, you know, the women that don't necessarily often get discussed or or the women that and their relationships that we definitely don't get to discuss, even if we know kind of their biographies or their backgrounds, the interpersonal aspect of things doesn't come up all the time. So things like this are always really interesting to me. So thank you so much, Christy, for being here. Before I let you go. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to share with our listeners as far as things you've got coming out? You know, this is your moment to uh, plug whatever you want to do. And if you have a book that's coming out or if you have books that are already out, definitely let us know about it because we want to hear from you again. We want to hear more about what you're what you're working on and what you've learned so far. Well, great. Um, I am in the midst of doing the research and writing um, for the book about Henry's Uh, sisters and nieces. And then I have two other books on the trail of Richard III and on the trail of the Yorks, which those two books um, delve into the York family and the places that are associated with them. So it's, it's a combination of history. It will tell about Richard III and then the history of the place that he was at, his history with it, and then other history of the place. So you get a different kind of book there. And, um, you know, I loved writing both those books too, because that's another family that is incredibly, um, you know, we would maybe say dysfunctional today, but they worked well together. Um, and they were able (laughs) to achieve, you know, a lot, but those are the two main books and you can follow me at Christy Davis Dia on, um, Twitter, there weren't enough letters for my whole name, but um, that's K-R-I-S-T-I-E-D-A-V-I-S-D-E-A. And I'm on Facebook as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Christy. And I'm definitely looking forward to that because I think everybody knows at this point I'm I'm a sucker for Richard III. So <laughs> I can't wait to read about it. Um, so thanks again. We, we loved having you. Thank you so much for being here to, to talk about the nieces and the sisters of Henry VIII. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. So good luck with everything. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.